Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Lord, we are welcoming and inviting You once again, even this day, to continue that process of transforming us into your likeness. We want to look more like you, Jesus. Corporately and individually, we want to look more like you, Jesus. So, Spirit of the Lord, come. Jesus, come. Father, come. With your sword, sharper than any double-edged sword, come and penetrate, Lord, to the depths of our being today. Lord, to bring forth, Lord Jesus, and expose, Lord, those things that still are hanging around upon us, God, that we might enter into the fullness of freedom and the fullness of transformation, Jesus. Living word, come and speak your word this day to us, your people, and be glorified in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I would like to add my welcome to the other welcomes you've received this morning. My name is Jim Olson. I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship St. Paul and the senior pastor of the Bethel Family of Churches, the seven congregations that comprise our life together. And specifically, I want to welcome the families again of the graduates. Uh, We love your students very much. They have been a great blessing to us the many years here, and we, uh, yeah, so we, uh, we are so grateful to rejoice and celebrate with you in that wonderful, wonderful occasion. Well, this morning we are getting close to the uh, close of a sermon series that we began uh, the Sunday after Easter. Um, we began th- this whole year, just to pull out the lens again for a moment, is our year to engage, a year to engage. And we began the year out with a study that, we, uh, that was called Kaleo, which means called, and we looked at the call of Jesus uh, upon our lives. And then we followed that up during the Lenten season with a uh, series entitled Apostello, which means sent. So we were looking and unpacking what it means to be the people of God who are sent out in mission into the world. And then, immediately following that series, we began this series entitled Praxis, which uh, literally in the English means to function. And so what we're discovering together uh, in this series is, um, you know, we, we understand that we've been called. We recognize now that we've been sent. What we're discovering together in this um, this particular now uh, sermon series is how it is or what how, how God has made us in order that we can be sent with purpose to fulfill the particular and specific calling that he has in each of our lives and on our life together. As I've said here several times in the series, as a friend of mine says, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. 
So what we're seeking to discover together is who we are. And the foundation for this sermon series is found in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. Or if you don't have a Bible, make use of the one that's located right in front of you. And turn with me to Romans, chapter 12. Romans 12, and specifically starting in verse 4, it says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have, all have the same praxis or function, as each does not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If one's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it's serving, let them serve. If it's teaching, let them teach. If it's encouraging, let them encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it's leadership, let them govern diligently. And if it's showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. Now, these particular set of gifts, the seven gifts located here in Romans 12, are what we have been calling the I'm sorry, the motivational gifts. And in Scripture, there are really three kinds. Hmm. I'm not able to move this. So, Liz, if you'd help me out there today, that'd be great. Because, I don't know, maybe it's a new battery pack. Oh, there it went. Okay, maybe. Let me see. All right, so the spiritual gifts... No? Ah. Are you going to be doing it for me? All right. There we go. My assistant, Liz. Yes. Thank you, Liz. All right. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, I want to remind you again, okay, this is from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. I want you to look closely at what we've bolded there to help you, again, get some orientation. So, so we understand here, as we've been kind of pull back the lens again to get the big picture, that all three members of the Trinity, God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father, are involved in this area of spiritual gifts. And And Paul uses even slightly different language to describe what they do. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working or functioning, but the same God in everyone. It is the same God, God the Father, who is at work. All right, so from that, we discover there's really three categories of spiritual gifts. The first is what we've called the manifestational gifts. These are primarily found in 1 Corinthians 11.2 to 14.40, but you can find uh, evidences of the manifestational gifts in other places, of course, in the Scripture as well. But that's probably the most comprehensive place where you can discover teaching about the manifestational gifts. We're not directly addressing the manifestational gifts in this particular sermon series. The second is the different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So again, notice the manifestational gifts are coming from the same Spirit who distributes them. Now, the ministerial gifts in Ephesians 4, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, those are coming from 
the Lord from Jesus, who is the head of the body, who gives these ministerial gifts to the body in order to equip the body for its functioning. So that's why we've called these the ministerial gifts, as well as it begins with an M. So that's always helpful when they all alliterate. Okay, so we have the manifestational gifts, we have the ministerial gifts, and then we have the gifts that we just read about here in Romans 12, the motivational gifts found in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. These gifts from the Father are a part of God's grace given to us and I believe are actually kind of woven into, if you want to think of it this way, woven into our DNA. They're part of the way God has made us to function. So it's very helpful when we can understand the way we've been created. Okay, you are, Ephesians 2.10 says you're a masterpiece. You are a, an artwork. <laughs> you are a beautiful creation of the Lord. There's no one else on earth like you. You are his masterpiece, created in advance with good works for you to do. So God has given you not only an identity, he's given you a destiny. He's made you who you are And he's called you to be what he's called you to be. So it's a matter of identity and destiny that we're talking about here when we're talking about these motivational gifts. All right, so in Romans 12, as we've just seen, we have all of those gifts listed for us. And let me just again run through them for you. These are the seven gifts, the motivational gifts found in Romans chapter 12. There is, first of all, the prophet, which we are describing as the eye of the body, who receives and declares the will of God. The servant, who is the hands of the body, who is rendering practical service to others. The teacher, that is the mind of the body, who researches and communicates truth. The exhorter, who is the mouth of the body, encouraging personal and corporate progress. The giver, the arms of the body, sharing time, talent, energy, and resources. The leader which is the shoulders of the body, shouldering. We talk about shouldering. An English idiom is shouldering responsibility. The shoulders of the body, responsibly organizing, leading, and directing. And next week, we'll cover the final of these gifts, the mercy, the heart of the body, sharing compassion, love, and care to those in need. All right, so those are the seven gifts. Now, we've already looked through the first five of those gifts. And if you're just coming into Bethel or you haven't been a part of this series, you can go to the website and pull those down as a podcast or you can sign up for a CD in the back if you'd prefer and you can get the PowerPoint notes from all of the different series of messages. All right? Now, one more kind of uh, related now to, to practicals related to these motivational gifts that I want to remind you of again this morning, is that there are three kind of, uh, three different expressions that happen of these various motivational gifts. The first level, if you want to call it a level, I don't know, you know, it's not so much hierarchy, it's sort of uh, depth of entrance into the fullness of these ministries, is first of all, there is role. In obedience to the word of God and in accordance with our natural abilities, and spirit empowerment, we are to engage all the functions to the degree to which we are able. 
Okay, because the Spirit of God dwells in you, because Jesus Christ is your Lord, because God is our Father, we all have access to all seven of these functions. Okay? So each and every one of us has the opportunity and even sometimes the obligation to function in these various gifts. It's not enough to simply say, I'm sorry, you know, I don't have that motivational gift. I can't function in that right now. Okay? So if, because, because you're going to be placed in situations and in circumstances in your life where you are going to be invited to step in and function in a particular area of gifting, which may not be the normal area of your functioning, and yet because the Spirit of God dwells in you, He will actually empower you and enable you to function in that. I've experienced that. I mean, I, you know, because of being in ministry now for over 28 years, I've been placed in countless situations where I may not, you know, as I shared with you, my primary, I believe my primary gifting is that of an exhorter. Um, I'm also a strong servant. Uh, it would be a, a secondary uh, a gifting with, within me, and there's others. But, but I have discovered over the years that I have been able to, and in fact, been obligated to function in all of the various roles of these various motivational gifts. Understand? Okay? So secondly, there is a second level here. That's the the gifting, and this is primarily what we've been talking about, is that God's Spirit has embedded into each of us a specific primary motivational gift that we are to engage in by, by grace and in faith. Okay? So there is, now again, I can't prove this to you. I'm simply offering this to you. And and for some of you, you may have discovered that you actually have more than one of these motivational gifts that feels primary to you. And I'm not going to argue with you about that. That's just fine. If there is more than one, and we've talked about gift mixes, in fact, that God sometimes... in, in, In fact, there's pairings of gifts. We'll look at that next week that often function together. Okay, so God... There, there's often a pairing of gifts that happens. Again, I'll hold that till next week. But, but I do believe that there is embedded in each of us as part of our DNA a primary gift which we will function in. And those are very, I've chosen those words carefully, by grace, because these aren't merit badges. These are by grace. These are given to you and to me as gifts from God. And we function with them in faith. We actually have to step into them in order to function in our spiritual gifts, okay? You can't simply polish it and put it up on the mantle and say, look, I have this gift. You aren't functioning until you're actually functioning. Now, was that profound? Okay. Should I say that again? You aren't functioning until you are functioning. You're not functioning in your gift. You're not actually exercising your praxis until you're doing something. And in fact, it's in the doing, as my wife shared a couple of weeks ago, it's in the doing that often we're released more fully into understanding about our gifts. Okay? Thirdly, there is the ministry that happens. As we engage our motivational gift, 
He's going to bring forth other spiritual gifts, manifestational gifts, ministerial gifts, even motivational gifts within us. So those spiritual gifts, our heart passions, our abilities and talents, our personality characteristics, our experiences, all together form sort of a spiritual shape, all right? Our unique shape that will enable us to be used for the benefit of the body and the building of the kingdom. So again, you're a unique masterpiece. You have a shape like nobody else. You look at that in the mirror tomorrow morning. I got a shape like nobody else. (laughs) All right? But you do. You have a unique and beautiful and wonderful shape that is from God who has put you together in a particular way for a particular function, for a particular reason, for a particular purpose. Your identity, your destiny. Same with us as a congregation. Our identity, our destiny, our call as a congregation here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. All right. Now, this morning we're going to be looking at the motivational gift of a leader. First of all, it says in Romans 12, 6 and 8, again, we've read this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Now, does anybody else have a translation? This is the NIV that says that differently because there are some translations that actually this particular gift share it differently. And I want to hear those because there's some things that we need to unpack about understanding the definition of the leader. Okay? So anybody else have a translation with a different... If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Okay? Romans 12, verse 8, the leader part particularly, or something in there. Read, read, yeah. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. Okay. He that ruleth with diligence. Okay, anybody else? You got something else? All right, Isela? All right, I feel like the uh, person in the, you know, Uh, Romans 12, 8. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, good. So leads with diligence again. I'm looking for one other. Yes, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, with zeal, there's another word. Anybody else got anything else different? Another new one? Oh, wait. Arthur. Okay. Um, this is the NIV version. It says, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Okay. And one more. Last one. This one is the good news, and it says, whosoever has authority should work hard. Aha. Work hard. All right. So, all right. None of those had one other piece that it might be in a note on the bottom of your Bible, and we'll, we'll get to that. Let me unpack this for just a moment. So let's go to the definition, all right? First of all, the word that we're looking at here for leadership is the, is the um, Greek word hoprostemenos, okay? Hoprostemenos, which we could translate administrator, 
who, oops, and I have this word, forgive me, this is my fault. The word is actually presides, presides, not provides, presides. Change that in your notes there. Presides and helps. Presides and helps. Now, the reason that those two words is because there's two root words here that are a part of this particular Greek word. One is the root word proistime, which means to stand before, but there's another root embedded with that, which is prostatus, which means to come, and again, forgive me, to the aid of, not to the end of, but to the aid of, all right? You need to have the spiritual gift of uh, tongues to read my handwriting, and Liz normally does great, and I didn't catch those on this. So it's to come to the aid of, okay? To stand before or to come to the aid of. So literally, when we're talking about this, um, this particular uh, definition, go ahead, is that the attitude here is with diligence or eagerness and zeal. Putting all of that together, we have this definition. The motivational gift of leader describes one who organized, leads, and directs with diligence, wisdom, and a servant's heart. Because you see, right embedded in the Word, and I love the way God's Word is so clear, because embedded in this word administrator, one who presides, who rules, who has authority, who leads, is also right embedded in that is one who helps, who comes alongside of, and who aids and contributes to the lives of others. So what we're talking here about is a particular type of leadership that Jesus said was the leadership that we are to have as his disciples. He says, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Did you catch that? The one who rules is to be like the one who serves. The greatest is like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. All right, now, let's look at some illustrations of this. First, we're going to look at one primary illustration. Now, this time, I thought about it ahead of time, and I don't have the name up there. Okay, give me someone from the Scripture, other than Jesus, who functioned perfectly in all seven of these gifts. Give me somebody who's an illustration of leader in the Bible. Moses? Okay, you're going to have to say him loud, because David, because otherwise I hear... Barnabas? Okay, who else? Thomas? Paul? Peter? Nehemiah? Beautiful. Solomon? Joseph. I heard Joseph several times. Ding, ding. We're going to go with Joseph. All right? The others you've mentioned as well all certainly functioned in leadership. I believe Joseph had that motivational gift of being a leader, all right? His story is told for us in Genesis 37 to 50. So are you ready for a nice, long story? No. 
We won't do that. But I am going to pull out from Genesis 41. First of all, verses 46 to 49. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he's already gone through 13 years of going, you know, being sold into slavery, uh, being falsely accused, being in prison, all of the different things, you know, all, all the stuff that he's gone through. And now, when he's 30 years old, he enters the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence, traveled throughout Egypt, and during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Next slide. Now we hear the rest of the story, 53 to 57. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. Remember, he had interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, told him this is what was going to happen, so he stored up all of the food, and now the seven years of famine come. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. And when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, do what he tells you. And when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses, sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Okay, so Joseph is a fabulous picture of the leader at work. Remember the administrator, the shoulders of the body. The one who responsibly organizes, leads, directs. I mean, Joseph is is an incredible leader here in the book of Genesis. Now, let's look at some characteristics. We're going to look at four characteristics of the leader gift. Like we've looked at in each of the gifts, we've typically looked at four characteristics. We're going to look at four characteristics of leaders. And they will all begin with the letter A. The first is administration, administration, okay? Now, we have a marvelous picture of this unfolding in the early church. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Just a side note here, probably the, the first significant tension point in the early church was ethnic and economic. Okay? Where are the tensions around the world today still? (laughs) Both in and outside of the church? (laughs) Ethnic and economic. Okay? Stories still the same. Different song, different chapter. All right? So they were being overlooked. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it's not going to be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. And from that point on, the seven are named and we don't hear anymore about there being difficulty in this area because those seven functioned as leaders administrating the food and the outreach that needed to happen to the various widows and those who were in need within the church. So here's the kind of the takeaway on this. The leader 
is highly motivated to organize that which has been entrusted to them. Leaders love systems. They love to administrate things. You know, if they can put it together into something, a, 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 a way of doing it uh, that will be effective and efficient, they, they love that. They look for opportunities to do administration. And sometimes, for some reason in the church, perhaps particularly in the, in the flow of church life that, that we are in, the kind of the stream of the more, you know, we're evangelical, but with our Pentecostal roots and charismatic, sometimes we think that somehow systems and administration is somehow worldly. I don't know how we got that idea. Because it's not worldly, it's biblical. I think God is pretty good at administration. Okay? He's, you know, he's, he's got the world pretty well organized. All right? And the way it works, the way it functions, our bodies, everything around, you know. So administration is a highly spiritual thing to be done in the life of a body. So thank God for administrators. All right, secondly, accomplish. Accomplish. Now, another leader in the Bible, which nobody happened to mention this morning, but is a very significant leader in Scripture, is Deborah, Deborah the judge. In Judges chapter 4, 4 to 7, we hear about Deborah, a prophet, okay, so she's also functioning for sure, if not in the motivational gift of prophecy, she's certainly functioning in the, in the uh, manifestational gift of prophecy and, or, or even the ministerial. I mean, she's, she's leading from a prophet, as a prophet, she's the wife, wife of Lapidoth, was leading, but she was leading Israel at that time. So she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go and take 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And as the story goes on, um, when she calls for Barak, Barak says, okay, I'm willing to go, but I'm going to only go if you're with me. I don't want to do this on my own. I need you, Deborah. I need you to help lead this, all right? So, but, but as the story unfolds, you'll also notice that, I mean, there's a very clear, Deborah's heard from the Lord. She has a clear directive, and she's leading in order to accomplish a specific task that has been given by the Lord. And the takeaway on this is that the leader is a visioning person who finds great fulfillment and joy in working to accomplish goals. They see both the big picture and the steps towards accomplishing that larger vision. Okay? So it's a matter of both seeing and then stepping. A leader can envision and see kind of that big picture, but they also know how to get from here to there. That's a leader. And now, even those, again, without the motivational gift of leader can do this, but those who have the motivational gift of leader do this instinctually. It just comes to them. They know how to do it. They can see big picture and how we're going to get from here to there. So if you say... We, you know, if the big picture is something five years down the line, they'll say, okay, these six months we need to do this, and then when we get to year one, we're going to be doing this, and now in year two, and they can see those steps, all right? 
to accomplish. Third, a point. A point. All right. Here we go. Somebody shouted out Nehemiah earlier. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night. This is Nehemiah talking with a few others, and I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then the rest... Here, as the story goes on, is Nehemiah appointing different ones, and different folks are assigned responsibilities. So we could look at either a point or we could say assigning, all right? It would also work here. And the takeaway on this is that the leader facilitates both resources and people to accomplish tasks and goals and desires to get things done as effectively and efficiently as possible. So he was going around, he was figuring out what resources, and he, he sends letters to the king. We need these things, we need these timbers, we're going to need this materials to get this done. A, a, a leader sees what resources are needed, what people, human resources is needed, as well as physical resources are needed, and then matches those together in order to put something together that is as efficient and as effective as it possibly could be. That's what a leader Everybody still hanging with me? All right? So they're appointing or they're assigning. Okay? So now sometimes, and here's, here's, a, there, here's both a strength and a vulnerability of leaders. Leaders can come across bossy. Okay? Because a leader will walk into the room and say, we've got something to do. I need you to go over here and do this right now, and I need you to do this, and I need you to do that, and we need to get these things together, and then we're going to put it together. And, and, and you're going, well, who died and put you in charge? Okay? So leaders, that's a tough place to be. Leaders, you need to pray for those with the gift of leadership because they are, that's often one of the gifts that's often... Um, takes a lot of the hits. Okay, because they're out in front. They're doing, you know, and they're, and they're leading. They're doing what they're naturally called to do. And the vulnerability of the leader gift is that they can get sort of naturally overly bossy because they're just functioning in that gift. Right? But it can become natural rather than supernatural. Okay? Finally, authority. Leaders have authority. Leader gifting has authority. Now, this is a great illustration of the leader in Matthew 8, the centurion. Nobody mentioned him, but he would be a leader functioning in leadership. He says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, and when soldiers come uh, with, when soldiers, with soldiers under me, I tell 
this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Here's the takeaway. The leader understands, honors, and respects authority structures. They will naturally assume, they'll naturally assume authority, yet function most fruitfully when they are also under authority. When they are under authority. So they like, they, they, they will function, they will assume authority. That, that you know, um, I also, because I function a lot in leadership, if I walk into a room where it is a leaderless room, if, you know, if I walk into a meeting or into a situation where there's nobody leading, I will just naturally start to lead. I'll just assume the leadership and just start doing it. Okay? So leaders naturally do that. They like authority structures, however, and they need, one of the protections is to be under authority. As your pastor here, I'm under authority. I'm under the authority of the elders. I'm under authority of numbers of people who I have in my life that are outside of Bethel Christian Fellowship who have authority in my life. Some of whom you've met, Dale and Ellen and others. Okay, Dale's a leader. He's under authority. I'm under authority. We're under authority even as we lead. All right? So what's the invitation to you and me this morning as we wrap this up? Four things. First of all, we can all begin by administrating right where we are. Okay? You can, even if it's, even even the most non-administrative person in the world can start to administer where you are. Even if it's just a little thing. Start where you are and begin to administrate that. Your life and the life around you does not have to be in chaos at all times. You can begin to administrate, to begin to organize in the small place right where we are. We can all ask God to increase our vision and wisdom. We all need bigger wisdom and more vision. More, bigger vision and greater wisdom to fulfill that vision. Okay? So we can all ask God that. We can all recognize the gifts in others and the resources around us. So you can all be a part of knowing who else around you has particular gifts for particular situations. And finally, we can all look for opportunities to lead and be led. Okay? Now, some people have the gift of leading, but you all have a role to lead somewhere in your life. And you can look for an opportunity to lead as well as be led. Now, I want to leave you with one final encouragement for all of us, and that is this from the scripture from 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. I would want to invite you, I always invite you to pray for the leaders here, those who function in leadership and those who have the gift or the motivational gift of leader. Pray for those who lead. It's not easy. And so we need to pray for those who are in leadership, those who are working hard among you those who are caring for you, those who are admonishing you. Pray for them. Encourage them. Hold them in regard and in esteem and respect. 
for those that God has placed in that place. All right, if the worship team would come on up, we're going to close. And here's how we're going to close, in the same way we've closed most all of the other weeks. And that is this morning, I would like to take a moment to specifically pray for the leaders among us. So as you're reading this now, everybody's going, I don't know if I stand up, I don't know. Do I? Okay. But even young people or older people, but if you sense and you realize this really is who I am, this is the way kind of the God has made me, and you recognize that this sort of fits who you are, your particular motivational gifting, I want to invite you to stand up. If that's you this morning, stand up. There are some. All right, that's good. Okay, this is your motivational gifting. Stand up. Good. All right. All right. Good. Excellent. Beautiful. All right. Now what I want you to do is we're going to do the scripture that we just had up there. We're going to honor. We're going to love them. We're going to, we're going to bless them. So would you reach out hands? You might have to move around. You can stand up and move to find somebody who you stand up. Move, move nearby and put hands on. Then we're going to close with a final hymn and then a benediction and we'll be done. But I want to pray. This is important because we're not talking simply about information these weeks. We're talking about impartation. We really want to impart into those what God has for their lives. So come on, reach out your hand and begin to bless. Jesus. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for the leaders in the house. Those who you have given this motivational gift to, Lord God. Those who administrate. Those who are, who are just super led to accomplish things. Those, Lord, who see those resources and can appoint and, and put things in place. Those, Lord, who have been given authority in various situations. Lord, I want to bless these leaders today, I want to pray that you'd pour in, Lord God, all that they need to fulfill the tasks that you will be laying before them. Jesus, they need you. They need your protection. They need your provision. They need your empowerment. They need, God, for you to come and cover them with your grace today. So I bless the leaders in this house. I pray that you'd flood them and fill them with greater anointing to do the work that you've given them. Fill them and flood them and release them now in Jesus' name. Release them into your work for your glory in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, all of us, and we're going to sing this to our true leader, Be Thou. If you would open your hands, please, to receive the benediction. And now I pray that this very day you might be filled afresh again with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of His favor over your life. And until we gather again, either in this home or in our eternal home, I pray that His love and mercy will chase you down this day and every day of your life. For his glory and praise in Jesus' name, amen.